text for this morning is from Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Let's read that once again. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 25, the stanzas 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the city has fallen. The city has fallen. That's the horrible news that the exiled Jews had just received from the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel. The Babylonian army set fire to Jerusalem on August the 14th, 586 before Christ. And about five months later, a fugitive arrived in Babylon to announce the sad fact to the exiles that not only Jerusalem has been destroyed, but also the temple. And so Ezekiel, as a prophet of the Lord, passes this on to the people. All the exiles have to know about this, for this is a disaster of great proportions. It was a greater disaster than we have ever experienced during our lifetimes, including the one currently in Fort McMurray and surrounding, or even the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York, or greater yet than any other war or disaster in the history of the whole world. And do you know why that is? Well, because of what Jerusalem represented. Of all the places on earth, this is where God manifested his presence. The temple represented God's dwelling among his people. It indicated that he would fight their battles and that he would make them victorious over their enemies and that he would usher in the great messianic age. And now with God's people in exile and with Jerusalem destroyed, great feelings of dread pass over them. What a terrible disaster. The people thought, this is the end for us. To be exiled is bad enough. But to have the city and the temple destroyed, that's a much greater disaster. For now they wonder, where is God? Has he abandoned us? But once again, through the mouth of Ezekiel, the Lord God assures his people that he does not abandon them. He tells them that this is not the end and that they do not have to be afraid. He will never leave his people without his presence or without hope. God doesn't need a temple to assure his people of his presence. For as Ezekiel says, he will put his spirit within each and every one of those who believe. He will live inside of them as in a temple. Even though they are far away from their homeland and even though the temple has been destroyed, God will continue to dwell among them. Of course, these words of Ezekiel apply not just to Ezekiel's time, but especially to the new messianic age, to Pentecost, which we're celebrating today. He is prophesying of the day 
when God's Holy Spirit will be poured out in abundance on all nations and all peoples, which is what happened some 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. And you young people who are about to publicly profess your faith, who knows what's going to happen to any of you during your lifetime? Disaster may strike you as well. It can take on any form. Who knows what life is going to bring you? But now God comes with his message to you as well, just like he did to those in exile. He tells you that no matter what, as long as you believe in him, God is always with you. The Lord promises to dwell in you with his Holy Spirit. And that's also the theme for this morning's sermon. The Lord promises to dwell in you with his Holy Spirit. And we will see in the first place that he will put his spirit within you. In the second place that he will renew you. And then thirdly, that he will make you obedient. Throughout history, Israel was always on the brink of disaster. Look at how they started off as a nation. When they left Egypt, the Egyptian army was nipping at their heels. In the nick of time, God came to the rescue and opened the Red Sea for them so that they could escape. And during the time in the desert, disaster could strike at any time. But the Lord always rescued them and remained closed, remained close by to reassure them. For do you know what he did? It says in Exodus 25 verse 8 that he pitched his tent among them and lived among them. As Israel traveled through the desert and the people moved their own tent from one location to the next, so did the tent known as the tabernacle in which God dwelt. God lived among them. The cloud that rested above the tabernacle by day and the fire in the cloud by night constantly reminded God's people of his presence. It was a beautiful symbol of his deep interest in their plight as they made their way through the desert and as they encountered the various dangers and temptations along the way. He showed them that he was intimately involved in their lives and that he greatly cared about them. What a great and wonderful impact that made on the people. There were so many hazards in the desert, lack of food and water, dangerous animals, and also enemies along the way who wanted to attack and destroy them. As they faced these kinds of dangers, they always knew that God was there to protect them, to take care of them. And that protection and care continued also once they entered into the promised land when they no longer lived in tents but in permanent homes. The Lord commanded Solomon to build a permanent temple for them, for him to dwell in. The Lord remained in their midst and continued to show his greatness and holiness throughout their centuries, throughout the centuries. But now in the text, Ezekiel tells the exile that the temple is no more. No wonder that the people think that God is no longer in their midst and that they are no longer God's special people. Throughout their history, God had always dwelt among them. Now, so they think he's gone. And so the news that Ezekiel brings them is great news. 
He tells them that it is not true that he is no longer with them. God is still with them. He will dwell in them with his Holy Spirit. Isn't that what his presence was about in the first place? To show them that he loves them and that he will never abandon them. To show them that he wants to be near to them and hold them safe and close to his bosom. Oh sure, the time will come when they will be allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their houses and to rebuild the temple. In this way, God will continue to manifest his physical and spiritual presence. But in the end, also that temple that they will rebuild will be destroyed. For you see, God is not restricted to some man-made structure. And so this prophecy points to something much greater. This prophecy points, first of all, to the coming of God himself in their midst, to the messianic age in the flesh. He is prophesying of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. He's looking forward to the New Testament. He's also looking forward to today, to the time right now. And he made this promise, this prophecy come true, first of all, through the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in John 1, verse 14, God sent his son to dwell among his people. In the original language, it actually says that he came to tabernacle among them. And this recalls the time in the desert when he pitched his tent among them, when the Lord Jesus came. Then God shows his great power amongst his people. Look at the miraculous things that the Lord Jesus did and the wonderful words that he spoke while he was on earth. He healed the sick and the lame, he forgave the sins of many, and he showed his great compassion and mercy to all those who would listen to him and obey his voice. The greatest blessing of his presence was that he took upon himself the sins of all those who heeded his presence. And he fought. He fought like no one ever has. He fought against the greatest adversary of all time against the devil. And he did that for our sakes. And he was victorious. He won the victory on Golgotha. And after that, he rose into heaven. But when the Lord Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven, he did not leave us without his presence. No, he is now seated at the right hand of God. And from there, he sends his Holy Spirit. And that's what he did on the day of Pentecost as described in Acts 2. And that is what he has continued to do ever since. He has sent his spirit to all peoples and all nations. And also to you. And to me. The promise given in Ezekiel 36 is being fulfilled every day. Do you realize what a wonderful difference that now makes for all of us today? What a difference that makes in our lives? That means that God will defeat your enemies, no matter who that enemy is, even Satan. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, that now we are temples of the living God. And then he quotes from Leviticus 26, verse 12, and reminds the Corinthians that God had said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
That means that God is also always near to you. At times you are lonely or afraid. Then God, the Holy Spirit, will comfort you. Isn't that wonderful to know? Especially you young people who are about to make profession of your faith. But for God to dwell in your heart, you must also allow him to do that. And therefore, he needs to renew you. We come to the second point. Through Ezekiel, the Lord also gives the promise that he will give you a new heart and a new spirit. However, as it also says in that text, he must first remove our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. What exactly is Ezekiel talking about here? What's a heart of stone? What's a heart of flesh? Well, to the Hebrew mind, the heart is the center of the person's being. The heart is the seat of someone's total personality. It refers to the inmost nature of man and includes the mind and the will as well as the emotions. The heart refers to what makes you tick. Now then, you young people were given the promise of the daily renewal of your lives already at the time of your baptism. For it says in the form of baptism of infants, which is read quite frequently here in this church building, that the Holy Spirit will impart to you what you have in Christ, namely the cleansing from your sins and the daily renewal of your lives. What does that mean? In other words, God promised that every day he will come into you with his spirit. And what does his Holy Spirit do? Well, his Holy Spirit scrubs you clean and he makes you a new person. Every day of your life. And that's what happened to you ever since you were a little baby. Isn't that something? Did you know that? Well, you may say, I wasn't always aware of that. I don't always experience that. There are many days, even now, that I don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, the fact of the matter is that we are all rotten to the core. As David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But now the Lord God promised you already at the very beginning of your life that he will cleanse you from your sins. And when you, whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit has been doing that inside of you all your life. Every day of your life. He was doing that already before you were even aware of the Holy Spirit. For he also renews little babies and little children as they grow up into their teen years. And he continues that work. For you see, that's not your doing. It's God's doing. Just look at what it says in the text. It says, I will give you a new heart. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But how then does he do that? Well, he does that by applying the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the time of your baptism, you were declared to be a child of God, a member of God's covenant. That's what you were and still are. As a covenant child, you were brought up to know what it means to be a child of God. 
Your parents, in spite of their many shortcomings, they taught you to pray, for example. To pray for the forgiveness of sins. To pray for your food and drink. They taught you to pray to reach out to others. They taught you not to be selfish. They taught you about God's will. They taught you about self-discipline. They taught you to praise God. And that's what you were taught when they brought you to church and when they had you taught in catechism classes. The difference between your childhood and now is that now you are aware of what God promised and now you are aware of his work inside of you. And therefore, today you are going to officially respond to that work of the Holy Spirit. You are going to state before God and all these witnesses that you realize that you need to be cleansed from your sins and that you need God's Holy Spirit because else you'll be dead, eternally dead. A heart of stone cannot give life. Only a heart of flesh can. And that is why Ezekiel speaks about a heart of stone. Ezekiel, first of all, speaking to those people who were exiled to Babylon, the reason for their predicament was that they were disobedient. They no longer listened to their God. Their consciences were no longer bothering them when they were in Israel and even while they were there in Babylon. And they had become just like the world, just like the heathen nations. They served their gods. And they had the same ambitions. They did what was right in their own hearts. And they followed the desires of the flesh. God no longer had a place in their lives. They had banished him from their hearts. And it was for that reason that they were sent to Babylon in the first place. And it was for that reason that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed to wake them up. For the Lord God said, well, they don't want me anyway. Their spiritual heart is no longer beating for me. Their spiritual arteries are clogged. Their hearts are hearts of stone. They're spiritually dead. However, now he promises to revive those who will once again listen to him and once again give them hearts of flesh, healthy hearts. Same thing is true for us today as well. Oh, sure, we have not turned away from God as the many of the Jews did in those days, unless we are living in our sins, of course. But without God's Holy Spirit, we too are spiritually dead. Children already, when they come out of the womb, even though they belong to God's covenant, show how stubborn and selfish they are from the get-go. That's our nature. That's my nature. And then they have to be taught by their parents to temper themselves, not to be selfish to be kind to others. A child needs to learn to share, not to throw temper tantrums. They need to learn not to steal or to cheat or to be dishonest. 
They learn not to give in to their natural desires. They need to learn to pray for the forgiveness of sins. They need to learn to be humble. They need to learn to love God. For why are they taught these things? Because they are children of God. And that's what separates them from unbelievers. A child that is born in a reformed home and which believes in infant baptism is told about the fact that he or she has God's sign and seal of the covenant on his or her forehead. And for that reason, they have to do what pleases God and not what pleases them. That's a difficult lesson. Difficult lesson for all of us to learn. And we have to learn that time and time again. And there are times in our life that God does not pay, play such an important role in our lives. That we want to do our own thing. But don't think that God lets you go just like that. He will continue to accuse you and to encourage you through his Holy Spirit. He will continue to speak to you in your heart and want to take residence within you through his Holy Spirit and remind you of who you are. He doesn't let you forget him just like that because you have been taught to know him and you know him. It takes a long time for a heart of flesh to turn into a heart of stone. It does happen. But it happens when we want to live in sin and we don't want to repent. It happened to the Jews and then it went from generation to generation because the children saw how the parents acted and God blesses in the generations but he also curses in the generations. But when you are brought up in the knowledge of the Lord and want to do God's will, then this will not happen. God will continue to draw you back for he has his claim on you. Don't ever turn away from him. Your conscience, which has been conditioned by God's word, will continue to accuse you. When you stray from the Lord, then he will remind you of his promises and of how he wants to be served. For he also wants to make you obedient. We come to the third point. The text says that God will move you to follow his decrees and to be careful to keep his laws. The Holy Spirit will move you. That's a good thing. Because as I said, without the Holy Spirit, we're dead. You young people in your short life have already experienced that you are sinful. I have no doubt. But you don't really know the extent of your sinfulness yet. I don't know the extent of my own sinfulness either. But right now you are full of enthusiasm and zeal about your own abilities to keep yourself on the right track. And that's good. However, as life goes on, you will realize more and more how difficult that is. More and more you will realize that you are incapable of overcoming your own sinfulness. For we often fall into the same sins again and again. And you will realize that you only have a very small beginning of the obedience that God requires from you. I don't want to be too pessimistic. 
But that's the way it is. That's life. That's my life. But do you know what is so wonderful as you struggle with your sins? If you don't give up on that struggle, that time and again you can go to the throne of grace and thank God for saving you, for forgiving your sins, and for allowing you to go on to fight a new day. You realize what a gracious God and wonderful God you have. And then you become more and more thankful for what God has done in your life. And you see him at work in you. And you see him at work in his beautiful creation. And you stand in awe of him more and more. And then you'll also want to live for a God like that. Then you'll want to do his will. And then you will have God's laws written on your hearts more and more. As we saw, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. That reminds us of the Old Testament when God pitched his tent among his people in the wilderness. When he lived in the temple there in Jerusalem, God's people experienced his presence in that way. But God is a holy God. And because of his holiness, the people could not just drop by and enter his tent as if he was just some friendly neighbor. And they could not just go into the Holy of Holies. No. The high priest could do that only once per year. And he had to make all kinds of elaborate preparations before he could enter into that most holy place. The only way that the people could have access to God would be through the sacrifices that were made on their behalf by the priests. There had to be atonement for their sins. And Ezekiel was very keenly aware of that. For Ezekiel himself was from the priestly class. He was serving in the temple already as a young man when he was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so he belonged to that priestly class. And he longed to have that temple service restored. But now listen to the prophecy that God gives him in his mouth. He says that God will put his spirit in his people. In other words, God will dwell inside of them. How is that possible? Well, that is possible only because of the one and only high priest, Jesus Christ. He removed all the obstacles for you and for me so that we may enter the Holy of Holies. Heaven. Christ is the door. And his Holy Spirit has scrubbed you and me clean from the inside out. You are now as pure and white as fresh snow. And it's for that reason that God now dwells in you. And so fight. Fight against Satan who wants to make your heart dirty again. Who whispers in your ear to follow the desires of your flesh. Who doesn't want you to listen to God. Do you know when Satan is talking to you rather than God? When you act because of your own selfish interests. When you act out of revenge or anger or resentment, for example. When you act because you want, to, want your own life to be fulfilled in the first place. When you love God, when you love yourself above God and your neighbor. 
And so time and again in your life, ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Do I do it because I love the Lord or because I love myself? Continue to pray that God will dwell in you and give you insight into yourself. Open your heart to him. And always be ready to have God perform radical heart surgery in you. For don't forget, God has opened his heart to you. And he has done that all your life. And he promises to do that for the rest of your life, into eternity. He promises to dwell in you. He promises to be with you always. He promises that he will monk among his people, just like he did in paradise. What a wonderful life you have now, and what a wonderful future you have to look forward to. How blessed you are to be a child of God and a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen.